Hi there, folks. Good to have you with us today. This is NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast, and I'm your host, Zivna Kojimam, again. But today, this podcast isn't our focus, actually. You may or may not be aware of this, but our very own Pretty Donnelly, who's in charge of NTI's、um, sales and marketing, has recently started her very own podcast. Now, you may have heard her here on the show a couple of times presenting our annual market summary and predictions for the next year. Or talking about what investors are looking for. And we're definitely going to have her back on a lot more in the future. And her podcast focuses on Japan property news, as well as on general business news from the region that reflect on the property market here in Japan. She's only published a few episodes so far, all of them in much shorter format than this podcast. So it's the perfect snippet for anyone who likes to get their news fix and is interested in this arena. So, for today's episode, I'm going to give you a mashup, a little taste of the content that she's put out so far, just to whet your appetite. And if you like what you hear and you want more, we'll link in this episode's show notes to the podcast page, and you can just go there and subscribe. It's not on the iTunes Store or Spotify just yet, but will hopefully be there soon as well. So, we'll keep you posted when that happens too. So, here she is, our very own Pretty Donnelly, talking about. Everything from fax machines to COVID 19, student accommodation, and even robots on the Japan Property and Business News podcast. Enjoy, and I will see you again on the other side. Welcome to our very first podcast of Japan Business and Real Estate News. I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager at Nippon Tradings. This week, we're focusing on the sudden changes of Japan's work culture as a result of the pandemic and where the country goes from here. Let's put Japan's traditional work culture into perspective. A study by the government in 2019 determined that virtually every Japanese company and one third of all households still use fax machines, technology that dates from the 1980s, for a good proportion of their communications. Equally, the hanko is an unshakable requirement for every piece of official paperwork, and the imprint has to be physically applied in tandem with or in place of a personal signature. It's hard to imagine that an attachment to the fax machine, particularly in a country known for its technology, still exists. As for the long endured hanko carved official seal, One doctor described it as a throwback to the Showa period, the era that coincides with the reign of Emperor Hirohito from 1926 until 1989. The inefficiencies were highlighted as doctors found themselves writing and faxing coronavirus reports and cases. One Twitter message read, This is 2020! Please stop this nonsense, Japan! It also contradicts the government's guidelines for people to keep their distance from others in an office environment. So, what's holding the country back? There appears to be a deep apprehension about computer hacking, data leaks, and the web in general. The older generation sees the facts as safe. That being said, business must continue to move the economy forward, and the new generation is not afraid of being without physical paper documents. More importantly, the government is paying heed to calls for modernization as a result of the COVID pandemic. 
The unprecedented challenge prompted a swift evolution of virtual hankos or digital stamps to online paperwork, a relief for employees enduring long commutes for hard copy paperwork. Without having to travel for the Hanko seal, this paved the way for telecommuting or working from home. So much more efficient on all accounts. Here's what a couple of people had to say. I am an importer of wines, and I used to spend a lot of my time traveling to different restaurants and shops in and around Tokyo to meet customers and tell them about new arrivals or what would be arriving soon. We can't do that anymore, so I'm working from home, and I spend most of my day on the computer or on the phone speaking with clients. Another person said, At first, it was difficult. I've been doing this job for nearly 40 years, and you get used to a certain way of doing things, and customers are the same. But that's just no longer possible. I'm looking forward to being able to see my customers again once the government does relax its restrictions. But I've also gotten used to working from home, and I'm probably more efficient now than I used to be. Working from home also reduces the number of people crammed into commuter trains and reduces the number of people in offices by 80%. Now that the pandemic lockdown is easing, employees will want to continue their new way of working for a more flexible work culture, ditching the old ways of work and catching up with the more nimble rivals overseas. And that is our first episode of Japan Business. Prior to the coronavirus, the shared economy was all the rage. Even traditional Japan was waking up to the concept of shared offices. Now, under the new world of physical distancing, we can't help but wonder how will the work culture be redefined? I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager with Nippon Trading International. Thanks for joining us. Here's a prime example of the changes of one startup. This company is called Overflow Inc. Based in Tokyo, the company operates an online financial planning service along with a job matching platform for IT engineers. The owner and founder, Yuto Suzuki's commercial lease, was set to expire in July 2020. He made plans to move to a larger property, but as cases of coronavirus began to rise in March, he felt the need to take the business and its 270 workers and completely remote. Now, his unofficial headquarters is his apartment. In this case, most of Suzuki's employees are freelancers who were already teleworking, so it made sense and saved on upfront deposits, monthly rent, fixed costs, not to mention health risks. This is just one among those at the forefront of a wave of coronavirus driven workplaces sweeping across the nation. Japan is known for an archaic corporate culture that values long office hours and face to face meetings. While it might be easier for technology firms like Overflow to switch to telecommuting, the pandemic is prompting companies and employees of all stripes to adopt to teleworking and flexible commutes to reduce contagion risks. Chat rooms and video conferencing have become popular. Some are using Slack and Google Hangouts. What would have taken four to five years, maybe even 10 years to implement the digital shift of the workspace, was rapidly accelerated in two months. We wanted to know how a manager can make sure people are working if they can't see them. 
Yuto Suzuki had a simple answer. The point is to measure output, not the number of hours clocked up. It's a new way of thinking and just makes sense. Not only would it ease the notoriously congested rush hour commutes in Japan's major urban centers, but it could also offer a better work-life balance and encourage more women and elderly citizens to enter the workforce. The government has tried to encourage teleworking, but has not been very successful in its efforts. According to a survey conducted by the Transport Ministry in October and November 2019, 32.7% of a sample of 40,000 workers said they knew what teleworking was. That's up 14% from three years earlier, but still a long way to go. Others weren't even aware of what teleworking meant. This sudden urgency when the pandemic hit injected a sense of urgency into experimenting with any idea that could slow its spread, and telework emerged as a measure that could ensure employee safety and convey corporate social responsibility. Here's some data from a survey taken by the Japanese Business Federation in April 2020. 97.8% of its 406 member firms responded that they had instituted teleworking measures. That was up 29.2% from a previous survey taken only six weeks prior. Based on those results, the business lobby, better known as Kaidanrin, estimated that roughly 66% of employees of respondent companies had begun working from home. Train ridership has also fallen, with the number of passengers going through Tokyo Station on May 18, for example, down 73% compared to a year earlier. So what do businesses have to say about teleworking? Hirokazu Yamaguchi is a manager at the Corporate Accounting and Tax Planning Office of NEC Corp., He began telecommuting in early April, a few days before Prime Minister Shinzo Abe declared a state of emergency, which has since been lifted in most prefectures. In late March, the company made it mandatory, with a few exceptions, that included plant and system maintenance workers. Yamaguchi said, we have tried trial teleworking runs in the past as a team, so the infrastructure was in place. One of the key things to make working from home functional is spending some money on improving the home office setup. For some, this might include new monitors, upgrading internet speed, a comfortable office chair, establishing a stable virtual private network connection, or VPN, particularly if you need access to sensitive internal data. Once you get used to it, you can schedule and correspond with coworkers using communication platform Microsoft Teams. During the day, it might even help to take a lunch break or a stroll. On one hand, seclusion can be a challenge, but the lack of commuting for some is attractive, and many would be inclined to maintain this lifestyle, even after the pandemic subsides. Now let's talk about the current obstacles to teleworking. First, the hanko, personal seals, an act in Japan that necessitates commuting to the office. The government is working toward cloud-based electronic agreement platform for companies interested in paperless transactions using e-signatures. It will take time, however, for businesses to make this transa- transition. 
A transport ministry survey taken in March showed that only 12.6% of a sample of 4,325 workers were telecommuting. Next, adapting to online communication tools. This is a struggle for many companies with the learning, as well as managing and allocating work to employees working remotely. They can't just hit the ground running without training, of course. But over time, business practices such as online meetings and electronic signatures will eventually gain mass acceptance. What are the effects on real estate and shared offices? It's no surprise that there has been a spike in cancellations of office leases in central Tokyo as corporations downsize workspaces. Instead, the trend to rent rather than own is going to accelerate as a result of the pandemic, with a trend toward shared offices to cut costs. Similarly, Nippon Steel, Kawa Real Estate Company, began selling contracts for a new residential apartment complex that is being constructed in Kachidoki, a bayside area in central Tokyo, to create a shared workspace to reflect the newest office trends to improve cash flow. The project's organizer, Hiroaki Wada, says that among telecommuters, there was a strong demand for a so-called third place. That's a space outside home and office where an individual can work for 500 yen a month. Residents can have access to a workspace in their apartment building equipped with Wi-Fi, a coffee machine, and high-quality office furniture. As teleworking takes root, it may fundamentally alter how the Japanese perceive workspaces. The physical office may become a place to encourage communication and teamwork building, hence redefining the workplace. Residents for college students in Japan have certainly evolved. Once cramped and shabby, these newer residences have quality global standards with secure entrances, co-working space, living space, shared kitchens, common entertainment areas, and perhaps even a rooftop balcony. But while such residences appeal to foreign students, here's the challenge. Foreign students often face the battle of securing a dwelling as the country can be unwelcoming and resistant to opening their doors to foreigners. For example, some landlords worry about the language barrier, following rules such as properly disposing garbage and making too much noise. So we decided to explore the investment potential of Japan's thriving alternative asset class, student residence. Welcome to Japan Real Estate and Business News. I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager at Nippon Tradings International. This reluctance to accept non-Japanese nationals is in fact what is attracting foreign business operators to the Japanese property market. Koji Naito, who heads the capital market research arm in Japan at Jones Lang LaSalle KK JLL, believes the trend of this mainstream office class and share houses can be a solid investment as investors seek a wider variety of alternative asset classes, such as data centers, nursing homes, and student accommodations. He adds that rent is covered by parents in many cases, so owners can expect a stable cash flow too. 
In Tokyo, student residence prices can range from 70,000 yen to 140,000 yen per month, which would be approximately 660 US dollars to 1,321 per month. Currently, Star Asia KK, a joint venture between UK and Tokyo based GSA, which specializes in providing student accommodations, operates 47 student accommodations globally, and they aim to provide 5,000 to 7,000 beds in Japan in the next several years. Similarly, Tokyo Land Corp, a group firm of railway operator Tokyo Corp and Itochu Property Development Limited, a real estate and developer unit of trading house giant Itochu Corp, have started building student accommodations in the past several years. So, what's the outlook for the student accommodation market? With the investment boom and growing number of foreign students, the outlook for the student accommodation market appears quite promising. Foreign residences are not restricted to just foreigners. It also attracts Japanese students from various colleges, including the University of Tokyo, Waseda University, Temple University, and those attending Japanese language schools. The diversity is key to cultural development and a community experience. Students also gain the opportunity to practice their Japanese language skills, beneficial to entering the workforce. Enter the coronavirus outbreak. It is undeniable that the pandemic drastically changed the educational landscape. In early April 2020, the Japanese government implemented tighter controls that effectively froze cross border movement. Many foreign students had to cancel their scheduled accommodations. Although it's still not known when people will be able to freely start traveling again, Industry players and experts believe that the health crisis is just a short term setback. Global real estate firm JLL believes the economic fallout this time has not severely damaged financial institutions like it did during the 2008 global financial crisis. It's likely to take some time before international traveling returns to normal but will not affect investments in student housing. Housing operators believe that the field of education is resilient to economic downturns and Japan will still be a popular destination for foreign students with its prestigious colleges and universities. The last decade has shown phenomenal growth. In 2011, Japan saw just 163,697 foreign students, but that number had nearly doubled just eight years later, reaching 312,214 by May of 2019. With this level of growth, the Japan Student Services Organization, an independent agency supporting students studying in higher education institutions, expects the trend of increasing foreign students. Wanting to study in Japan will return once the COVID 19 pandemic calms down. It's only a matter of time. Most of us are familiar with robotics in manufacturing related to industrial safety and performance. These robotics have been, for the most part, tucked away in factory lines and other industrial settings. But now, since the coronavirus, things have been changing. Real time statistics website, Worldometer, states, 894,024 deaths as of September 7th, 2020, worldwide. 
The coronavirus outbreak put the spotlight on the weaknesses and vulnerabilities in the global human workforce, the risk to frontline workers, and the need for automation to reduce contact between humans to prevent the spread of the virus. So the question is, are you ready to coexist with robots? I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager, Nippon Tradings International. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, focusing on Japan attempts to establish global standards to coexist with robots. Japan has had to be ahead of the game because of its rapidly aging society with fewer children. The country is already equipped with a national standardization JIS Y1001 for robot-to-human interactions because of its labor shortages affecting all industries. Taking it one step further, Japan opened a consultation with the International Organization for Standardization, ISO, in a bid to establish international standards for human-assisting robots. ISO's existing TC299 for standardization in the field of robotics, excluding toys and military applications, does not consider the best practices for various settings, which Japan's standard does. For this reason, TC299's new working group is being headed by Japan to help ensure that the global standards for human-assisting robots is at least as robust as Japan's national version. Here's a recap of the history of ISO TC299, as quoted from ISO.org, reflecting the increasing and broadening standardization activities in the field of robotics. In 1983, the committee started as subcommittee SC2, Robots for Manufacturing Environment, under the technical committee ISO TC184, Industrial Automation. The initial efforts were primarily related to industrial safety with some activity in vocabulary and performance. As a result, the title was updated as Robots for Industrial Environments. The title was again updated to Robots and Robotic Devices to include not only industrial robots, but also non-industrial robots, which were defined as service robots in 2006. With increased robotic activity, greater visibility was needed for better coordination. This resulted in the upgrade to ISO TC299 with the title of Robotics in 2016. What will robot-human smart cities of the future look like? With the partnership of Japan Post with Yamato, one of Japan's door-to-door -door delivery services, Robots and autonomous cars will soon be on the streets of Tokyo. This robot still needs to learn how to use elevators, but that may not be too long a wait, as world-leading elevator company Thyssen Krupp recently unveiled a communication interface to assist with robot delivery services. Also, in restaurants, your hot steaming bowl of ramen will soon be served by a robot waiter as ramen chain Kurakuen in Fukushima is initiating. The more familiar four-foot-tall pepper robots designed by SoftBank Robotics are humanoids designed to identify and react to human emotions, laughing at a joke, offering comfort, or giving reminders. Patients quarantined at hotels in Tokyo found themselves comforted by Pepper, saying, 
I hope you recover as quickly as possible. Or, please wear a mask inside. They are also used in banks, shops, and hotels. The more time the system spends interacting with the person, the more natural the conversation becomes. These robots will be scaled up when better artificial intelligence is developed. If Japan's bid is successful in establishing international standards for human-assisting robots, it will be instrumental in exporting its standard to the rest of the world. It will be ahead of its global competitors in the cultivation of Japan-oriented collaborative robots, or cobots, designed for direct interaction with humans to perform tasks outside of industrial automation applications, such as customer service, cleaning, delivery, guide robots, nursing care robots, assisting robots designed to help the elderly, or even to assist with surgery. With expansion overseas for industries to take advantage of, if we thought life adjustments after the pandemic were the new world, we ain't seen nothing yet. Thanks for listening to our latest podcast of Japan Business and Real Estate News. Keeping you informed, I'm Pretty Donnelly. There you go, the spectacular Pretty Donnelly. The uh, theme music for the podcast, if you've enjoyed it, is by her very own husband, Kevin Donnelly. And if you like the content she puts out, hit subscribe. The link is in this episode's show notes. And if you don't have the time to listen to yet another podcast, uh, which if you're anything like me is quite possible, um, Pretty also sends out periodical news digests, which you can quickly skim through via email. So hit us up in the comments section or email us on info at nippontradings.com with a double P and we'll happily add you to our mailing list. So that's it from us for today. Hope you've enjoyed this quick recap of recent business and property news. Do share this podcast as well as Pretty's podcast with your networks if you did. And we would really appreciate it if you could also leave us a quick star rating or a review on the iTunes store. Your word of mouth really does rock our world. Hope to have you with us next time here on the Japan Real Estate Podcast. And until then, Yoroshiku.